me, and I meant to hand it off to somebody, but I did say I would read it, so I was just going to read that really quickly. Uh, cards we gave to the church. We would like to thank everyone for all the cards, messages, and food during our time of loss. Our mother would have been so thankful for the kind words that were spoken by Brother Van and Brother Terrence. Uh, her love for the Lord will live on through her family. Uh, with all our love, the family of Gwenberg. So, well, we certainly appreciate that. Um, just the other night, I guess just another sort of update, uh, Priscilla and Luke and I and a couple families from our congregation got to, to join up with the, the Bumpus Mills Church for their fall youth devo and their hayride, and we had a wonderful time. Uh, I looked forward to many of the opportunities we have, and I got to talk with Phil and just talk about some of the different planning and things like that that we're going to do to try and uh, uh, get together to do more things with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ up there on the, the north side of the county. So um, as for this morning, we've been preaching a sermon series through the prayers in the Bible, and we've been looking at all sorts of examples from Elijah to, to Solomon to James, even to, to James or to Jesus' own personal prayers. And our study this week brings us to the book of Acts. And I, I joked again in class this morning that in the church we, we kind of tend to see as Acts as our book. Not that we don't love the whole Bible, but we, we tend to really view Acts as sort of our book. And why not? Acts is where the church began. Acts is where uh, the, the apostles first preached very, no longer Jewish, but very Jesus-centered sermons. Acts is where the disciples are first called Christians. And so no longer did birth or bloodline qualify you to be part of the people of God. But with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, eternal life, access to God the Father, was found only in Him. And so from here on, God's people are meant to be part of the body of Christ, and they are members of His church. And so in Acts, the, the apostles, they enter a new Frontier. They're about to see what life and ministry and faith and fellowship look like without Jesus' physical presence on earth anymore. And if you'll appreciate this very timely modern cultural reference, in 1966, a brand new science fiction TV show called Star Trek first came over the U.S. airwaves. And when it began, William Shatner introduced the show by saying, These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise to explore... Strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before. And the apostles, if you can believe it, were given a very similar mission. To bring the gospel to all nations. And so in order to do that, they had to boldly go to where Christ had not yet been preached. They knew their mission. I heard a preacher the other day talking about his vision for their congregation not sure what's going on, but I'm sure we'll figure it out. I trust Jeff. But I heard a preach from another congregation saying that if, if you have big plans, you are going to need some big prayers. And he was talking about the, the planning and the, the future and the vision that they have for their church and the things that they had lined out for their congregation to do over the next number of years. And he said, we have some big plans, and so we are going to need some big prayers. And I love that phrase. I think it gets right to the heart of what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, that, that our congregation has been in sort of this period of transition, of course, for, for some time now. And we're actually pushing for more transition, for more change. As, as Mike actually mentioned in his prayers, we're praying that we will continue to evolve, that God will raise up from our number shepherds, teachers, and leaders to guide our spiritual family into the future. 
And so we realize that we have big plans and we are going to need some big prayers. And so I have this slogan from the original Star Trek to boldly go. Because it was the same mission that was given to the apostles to, to boldly go, to preach the gospel to all nations, to every creature, to the ends of the earth. And in order to boldly go, the disciples needed to boldly pray. So our prayer this morning comes from Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and begin navigating to Acts chapter 4. The prayer is found towards the end of the chapter. In verses 24 through 30 is where the apostles prayed their prayer. But, but, but before we get to that, I, I want us to understand the context in which they pray for boldness. Because that is really the, the focus of our lesson this morning is to boldly pray. But you'll notice when the chapter starts, Peter and John have been preaching. They're, they're preaching in the city. They're preaching in the streets. They're preaching in the marketplaces and the synagogues. Anywhere that people will listen and respond to the message of Jesus, they are proclaiming the word. And so they're in the, middle, in the midst of all of their proclaiming and they're going town to town. They're taken into custody by the Sadducees. And the men and the, the scribes and the rulers, it says, they gathered in Jerusalem and they began to question the apostles. And they began to sort of interrogate them. And they asked them this question, by what power, by what name do you do these things? And what they're getting at is they're saying, look, you're, we've got a thing going on here and it's kind of working out for us. We have control, we have power, we have authority in the temple. And you know, what you're doing, it's really messing with our authority. To do these things, to say, these, who gave you permission to act the way you have been acting? And Peter says, around verse 10, verse 12, he says, There is no other name in heaven by which we must be saved. He says, we have done this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The man who you crucified, but God raised from the dead. He said there is no high, what authority? There's no higher authority than we could do what we're doing. He said there's no other name in heaven by which you must be saved. But the problem that that's caused them is not just their preaching, but what they've been doing. Because aside from their preaching, Peter and John were healing. Acts 3 details that the healing of a lame man who, who sat outside the temple every day who was begging that he might feed himself from just the, the crumbs and the scraps and the, the leftovers of those who came in and out of the temple. And I want us to notice something, that when, when Jesus sends out the apostles to go and preach the gospel, he says, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them all I've commanded, as we've talked about from Matthew 28, 20. But, but he sends them out specifically as a, as a healing force into the world. And so when we study Acts, we see that everywhere the apostles go, their, their message is accompanied by works. Their message is accompanied by signs and miracles, healing and wonders, so that people would believe that their word is from God. And the elders, it says, the elders and the scribes and the, the Sadducees, it says when they saw, not just how they spoke, but the healing that they were doing, when they saw how they handled themselves, when they saw the way they acted under intense interrogation, it says they... They saw that they had been with Jesus. And this is one of my favorite little details kind of in our story. Because I, I love asking Christians or sort of asking the church, you know, when people see you, do they know you've been with Jesus? When we leave here this morning, we either go to lunch or we go out to wherever the store or we go back home. Do, do people see you and they say, man, I, I can tell by that person's demeanor. I can tell by their attitude, I can tell by the glow on their face that they have spent time with God this morning. 
I think about that because the disciples, the early church, they were sent out to do more than just preach. And the text tells us because of their works, because of their preaching, the elders were simply astonished. But verse 14 says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The apostles' words frustrated the elders of the temple and the synagogues. It frustrated them, but their words were undeniable because their actions were undeniable. Consider a hypothetical, if you will. Let's say the apostles came preaching the power uh, found in Jesus. They became talking about the, the healing power that they found in Jesus. But when they walked by the man who was in need, they did nothing. You know, with their words, they proclaimed the kingdom of God. And they talked about the great and awesome healing power that is found in Jesus Christ. But when they came upon the man who did healing or who was suffering, they ignored him. How effective do you think their message is now? How many people are astonished now? I want you to understand the context of the Apostles' Prayer here in Acts. The context of the Apostles' Prayer. So some of this text is going to be in white. And I imagine this is what Jeff was trying to fix for us earlier because something's going on with our PowerPoint. But you'll probably just have to take my word on the rest of this. Because about half of our text is in white, so this is going to be interesting. But the context of the Apostles' Prayer is opposition and healing. They face great opposition. They face great resistance among the, the elders and the leaders in the synagogues. But they could not deny what the apostles preached because everywhere they went, people were healed. They hated their message, but they could not deny the works that they were doing. The wonders and signs followed them everywhere. It says everywhere the ch church goes and acts, people are healed. The blind see, the lame walk, the lost are found. The enemies of the church could not stand the message of the gospel, but they could not deny their works. As much as they hated what their message was, they could not deny the work of healing and helping. And I say that because when the church has a healing effect on the people around us, the power of our message is multiplied. Tenfold, a hundredfold. When our words are just words... They're only ever going to be so effective. But when our actions, when the healing is evident, people listen. The church in Acts 4 faced great opposition, but they overcame it with undeniable healing. We'll see that the rulers and the scribes will eventually dismiss Peter and John. They decide, well, they can't hold them for any charge. They can't find them guilty of any fault, so they release them. And we're going to pick up our story in verse 23. In verse 23 from Acts chapter 4. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We talk about the context of this prayer and what led them to this moment. But I want to examine for a second the content of the disciples' prayer. Because it says the content of someone's prayer shapes, it actually shapes the one who prays it. I spoke about this last week. It shapes us because we, we love what we pray about and we pray what we love about. And I would say the things that we love, the people we love, and the things we love make us who we are. So why 1 John 2.15 warns Christians, do not love the world. For John says, the, the world is full of temptations and desires and deceitfulness and the pride of life. And so John says, do not love the world, but instead love the Father. He says the, the love, what we love, is a key part of what makes us who we are. And the same is true for the church. Both as individuals, but together as a church, what we love defines who we are. Jesus believed this. He said, in fact, he said, your love for one another should define who you are. But something else, and something that amazes me about this passage when I read the, the disciples' prayer. I'm amazed by what they didn't pray for. Because you'll notice that despite facing persecution, which they'll face again many times in the book of Acts, they, they didn't actually pray to be delivered. And they didn't say, oh, well, you know, change these men's hearts, soften their hearts, so they'll stop arresting us and, and stop harassing us. They didn't say, pray, Lord, keep us from these men so that we won't be assaulted by them or, or attacked by them. What I'm saying is that they didn't pray for themselves. Because there was something that they recognized that they loved more than they loved themselves. They loved the mission of the gospel. Of all the things they might have prayed and all the things that churches should pray at various times, right here in the early stages of the church, the church prayed that God would give them boldness. In the face of great persecution, in the face of great opposition, they said, give your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so the content of their prayer is very simple. If you're visiting with us or you just don't know our story, one of the, one of the things we believe in the Church of Christ is what we call the restoration of the New Testament church. We believe that the, the church of the 21st century needs to look like the church of the 1st century. That, that Jesus entrusted to his apostles that a plan for the church should look like. The apostles executed that plan. And in the intervening hundreds of years, man has in various ways deviated from that plan. But we believe in the restoration of the church as portrayed in Scripture. And then because of that, we mimic the, the patterns and the habits of the, the New Testament church. Acts 27 says they, they met on the first day of the week. Well, here we are on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 11.23 talks about taking communion weekly in, in memory of Christ's sacrifice. And so that, that weekly communion is part of, of what we do. Acts 2.42 says when they met, they had fellowship, they broke bread, they prayed, they, they worshipped, they devoted themselves to teaching. And so we do likewise. But I would ask, do we love what they loved? Because this prayer in Acts 2, 42 through 30 makes it pretty clear to me that the early church loved sharing the gospel. More than all other things. More than their jobs. More than their social or physical comforts. Above even their own health and safety. They loved the work of preaching the gospel. And so in the face of great persecution, they prayed not to be delivered, 
not to be rescued, not to be spared from it, but they prayed that they could continue to speak with all boldness. I kind of passed over it earlier when I was summing up the context of our prayer. But verse 19 from this chapter is one, really one of my favorite quotes in the entire New Testament. Because the, the Sadducees and the scribes, they're, they're really pressuring Peter and John. They're saying, look, we don't, we don't have a legal charge to hold you, but we really don't want to deal with this anymore. And they're saying, look, if you just will stop talking about this and go away, we'll leave you alone. And they're trying to kind of pressure them into being quiet. And in verse 19, Peter and John say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They say, look, if you're going to kill us for this, kill us. If you're going to let us go, let us go. But we're not going to stop. They said, what we have seen and heard Jesus do in our lives, we cannot help but speak about it. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And so this love for the gospel that the early church had ought to be the kind of love that we have for evangelism. We should have this kind of love that is, that is radical, that is above all other things. Peter and John are saying that our lives have been so dramatically changed, our status, our mindset, our approach, our way of living is so drastically improved that we cannot help but tell other people about it. Peter and John encountered Jesus and the rest of their life was forever changed. That is how we should feel about the gospel. In the face of strong resistance and great persecution, the, the apostles were a source of healing in that world. And they prayed for enduring boldness. And now I want us to look at the consequence of this prayer. In verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Something we see all over Acts is this unmissable physical sign that accompanies the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. That whenever the church goes around, they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And whenever they're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's this physical evidence of what's going on. We, we see this in the, the tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2. We see this in Acts chapter 10 when the, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. It says they're, they're speaking in tongues and they're extolling the name of the Lord. That's where Peter says, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing them who have received the Spirit just as we have? And here... As soon as the church was done praying, it says immediately the place and they were in was shaken and they were filled with the Spirit. Just like we pattern ourselves after the early church in so many other ways, the work of the Spirit should be evident in the church today. Not through speaking in tongues or setting fires. And if the building starts shaking, don't wait around for something to happen. Just please exit calmly out the, the two rear doors as the flight attendants would do their thing. 
think someone told me one time they they hand dug out the basement after the top was built so if the building starts shaking especially if you're on this side you better go that way but this work of the spirit should be evident in the church the work of the Spirit should be evident in our lives and our actions. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, You are baptized into the Spirit. That we're all given one Spirit. Romans 8, 9 teaches that if you belong to Christ, you possess the Spirit. It is the seal of salvation according to those who have believed. Ephesians 1, 13. And so if we believe in Christ, if we have been buried with Him in baptism, if we possess that seal of the Spirit... Which means the work of the Spirit should be evident in our lives. And, and I know we've talked about this, this idea of the work of the Spirit before. And it's, it's a struggle, I think, for us sometimes to acknowledge. I think it's hard for us to sort of recognize. But it means that God is working in our lives today. When you have turned from sin, put your faith in Christ and been baptized... We use this expression found in Acts that God adds you to the church from Acts 2.47 and 5.14. The New Testament teaches that those in the church have the Spirit. And so the consequence of their prayer in Acts chapter 4 was this spiritual indwelling. There's the power of the Holy Spirit in everything they did. And even though we might not be shaking the walls and healing people, Ephesians 4.16 says in the church we serve one another. Ephesians 4.16, Paul says in the church we love one another. And he says we build one another up by the Spirit. And so he says that's how the Spirit works in the church today. In our service to one another. In our love that we have for one another. Which means if you want to witness the power of the Spirit, you've got to be in a church where the Spirit is working. That is one of the signs of an authentic church. is a church where you look at it and you can say, I can see God living I can see the Spirit working in the lives of the members there. It also means you need to be in the church. Which means not just a member, but sometimes, I, I know we don't consecrate the building, but it means we've got to be a part of the fellowship. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, with people in, in past years and other places in ministry that, that talk about, well, I've just felt really distant from the church lately. I said, yeah, the church has felt really distant from you. I've seen you like twice in two months. They said, well, I, I just haven't felt home when I'm there. Well, how often are you there? I mean, I can't tell you anybody I'm that close to in my life that I see for two hours a month. And so it means that we need to be careful where we see and we need to be discerning for the, the work of the Spirit and the people who are there. But we also need to spend time with the people who are in the church. Because loving and, and serving and, and all of these words, these are relational words. And it means I can't serve the church alone. I can't fellowship alone. I can't love one another alone. So the work of the Spirit must be done when we're together we build up through the spirit it also means that when we're apart when we are alone we need to read the scripture to hear what the words are that the spirit gave the apostles and the prophets we believe that scripture is god breathed that is breathed out by his spirit peter also says that it was the holy spirit that carried men along that they're inspired and so that means the spirit brought us the bible that means we kind of need to study it if we want to see the Spirit. And so the Spirit works in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it works in the church, the past, the present, and the future for the common good. Something you cannot miss if you study the book of Acts. 
was that the early church was repeatedly dependent on the Holy Spirit. They believed very firmly that as they prayed and as they sought the will of God, that the will of God would be made evident in their lives through the working and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is where sometimes we, we misunderstand. Believing in the work of the Spirit doesn't mean I don't work. It doesn't mean I don't prepare. It doesn't mean that we don't purpose, as we say when we talk about giving, that we don't plan. It doesn't mean that, that we don't put our own blood, sweat, and tears into supporting the church. But it means that we recognize, even if we do all those things, that it is simply not enough. I heard another preacher compare it to the fishes and the loaves. That they had a multitude. And if the apostles were to feed the multitude themselves, they had about five fishes and two loaves. Switch that. But because they entrusted to Jesus, they fed 5,000 people. Trusting in the Spirit doesn't mean we don't work. It means we, we give God everything we have, but we recognize that if His higher purpose is to be fulfilled, we recognize that even everything we have is not enough. That we need God to work in the church. We do all of the things we do, and we recognize that without the supernatural help from the Lord through His Spirit, it is simply not enough. The presence of the Spirit is not a substitute for serving the church, but it's a force multiplier. The context of this prayer shows us the message of healing the apostles brought in the face of great resistance and great opposition. The content of their prayer reveals the love they had for that mission of the gospel. The desire for boldness and the consequence of their prayer was an immediate and significant answer from the Lord. And a multiplication of their ministry. As we leave this morning, I want you to reflect on the mission of the